the habits we have. My mom is back, and this time we had an impromptu conversation about habits. We warmed up with our habits around lamps, and then we really dug in with how we keep home and the habits that are passed down between generations, including a debate about gender roles and why it's not just moms who make the home. And that led us to talk about how we balance our habits with in-laws. Then we close with thoughts about kids these days and the impact of the pandemic on habits that will last a lifetime. Let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Cultures. The topic of today is habits. Mm -hmm. I did a solo episode. I wrote up a whole outline. I recorded it. It's basically publishing ready. Like I could just put that out. But I listened back to it, and there's just something missing. Okay. And so I thought we could talk through this. It's weird for me because there's no real script for today. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you nothing. Right. <laughs> right, right. You know, somebody said, oh, what are you talking about? I said, I have no idea. So I had a few different sections that I kind of went through, you know, and I've got my musical interludes to divide it up. Right. And the first thing I talk about is the influence from childhood. Okay. And so what I talked about was the fact that even today, I don't like to turn lights on unless I have to. <laughs> Okay, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so are you the same? Will you walk absolutely. around in the dark? Uh, you know what? I walk around turning lights off that yes. people have left on in a room they're not in. Like, why? Why is the light so right, on? Right, right. Is it keeping the furniture comfortable? I mean, exactly. So, yeah, definitely. That's from me. But then... Because, of course, this whole episode comes from things that I was observing about my life and the light thing. Mm -hmm. I follow my husband around and he's left a room and I go, are you still working there? He goes, oh, I'll get back to it. And I'm like, are you getting back to it right now? Yeah. <laughs> God, that is the same with me. It's exactly the same. So I was trying to think, like, why am I like this? Mm -hmm. And so it's good to hear that you're the same. So obviously yeah. I can blame you. Yes, all the way. But I think it's not just you. I think it's California. Do you remember we had the rolling blackouts? Yes, we had the rolling blackouts. There was an energy crisis that we went through a period of time where they were asking people to conserve. So people were very cognizant and aware of their energy use, their electricity use. And the bills and the costs were very high. Mm. Um, so the other thing, you know, you wanted to do was keep the cost down. Yeah. So yeah. We were, I love saving money. Yeah. It, it was about saving money. It was about cooperating for the, you know, community good. Yeah. The lights on only in the room you're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to light it up like a birthday cake either. You know, one lamp is good. <laughs> <laughs> and I do this thing if I'm going, let's say for a glass of water, I, you know, I've got a certain amount of like motor memory mm -hmm. and I know mm -hmm. where things are in my kitchen. Yeah. I don't need to turn a lamp on to grab a glass and fill it with water. Yeah, me either. I actually can go through quite a few series of movements about the house and never turn a light on. 
It's all making so much sense now. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. what I do. Yeah. And I'm not sure where I got that. I, I don't think that came from my mom. It, it probably was a function of being in California. Yeah. That was my observation before I knew that you're also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought there are some things that if it happens to you as you're developing. So in this, what I was mm-hmm. calling like super absorption time, mm-hmm. where your habits and mm-hmm. your mannerisms and your accent, everything is really just sticking right. to you. I thought, well, what was I doing at the time? I was growing up in California mm-hmm. where we have these rolling blackouts. And mm-hmm. not only that, at school, kind of like now they're talking about recycling and sustainability, we were right. talking about how can you save energy? Yeah. yeah, It stuck. Hey, I unplug appliances I'm not using. Okay, that's maybe too far, Ma. Yeah. No, like finish with the toaster, unplug, you know. Yeah, so I don't keep appliances plugged in. You know what's different, though, about the states is the plugs don't have a switch on them. Correct. So we don't either in in our home here in Germany. But in the UK, for example, and some other places, I think Finland, my in-laws will correct me on this, there is a switch on the outlet. Mm -hmm. So you can actually turn off the connection mm-hmm. to that outlet rather than unplugging things. That's smart. Yeah. It's also yeah. like a fire safety thing, you know? Yeah. People like that. Exactly. So that, that's another habit, but I guess that didn't, that didn't trickle down. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing was about how we keep home. Mm-hmm. And I talked about grandma kitchen. Okay. And what do you, let me, let me just ask you, what was, if you had to describe grandma kitchen style of keeping home and like, and how much stuff she kept, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to give you a clue there, how much stuff did grandma keep? Yeah, for sure. There's that generation uh, around grandma's age that grew up in the late twenties and the thirties through the depression era who are keepers, uh, borderline hoarders. Um, you know, they will wash out little Ziploc plastic bags and reuse them. They would clean aluminum foil and reuse it. And they were, they had such a heightened awareness of waste and throwing something away. It's like you kept a box because, well, it was a good box after all. You know what? (laughs) I do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I might use this in three years. I mean, if it's a good box. Keep a good box. And then, so people of, of grandma's generation definitely kept everything. You might use it in 10 years. You never know. Yeah. Um, I'll just find a spot for it. Well, <laughs> over 20 years of finding spots for things, you know, you now have a, a kind of an organized clutter. Uh, coffee cans were repurposed for storage. Um those the Folgers, Folgers. Oh my coffee. gosh! And and the and butter containers when they came out with plastic butter containers, when oh, those, yeah. when those were empty, that was the Tupperware of the day. Okay, I have I have vivid memories of those butter containers, and like she would bake cookies or whatever, and I'd mm-hmm. drive by her place on my way to university, and I'd get butter containers full of food. Yeah, but it wasn't butter. Yeah, you just didn't know what it was. You know, and um, so, yeah, she definitely had a spot for stuff, but there was a lot of it. Yeah. And then I remember 
if you can visualize her house in the garage, you pull the mm-hmm. car in mm-hmm. and directly in front of the car was like this little room that was the workshop. Right. And then next to that was the backstock pantry. Yes. And you slid the doors open. You know where mm-hmm. I'm talking yeah, about? Exactly. And it was like a grocery store. Well, it was a, it was a store of anything she was able to buy an entire lot of. She would go into a place like Kmart and she would find a, you know, a table of something, let's say socks. Uh, Men's socks were being discontinued, clearance, whatever. She would find the manager and say, how much do you want for this entire lot? Like everything they had. So her basement had shelves of whatever super bargain Mm -hmm. in bulk she found. Okay, so it could be everything from peanut butter to ladies' underwear. Could be anything. Anything, um, you know. She was a bargain hunter. It's it's kind of where she. I think you know it was a bit of a high, you know, <laughs> to come away from that stuff. And then you remember she would resell that stuff at, at the flea market. At the flea market. And so she'd be so thrilled if she made a ten cent profit on something. You know, we would hear about. You know, I only paid this for this, but here's what I. You know. And so again, that stuff just builds up and builds up. But you could literally go shopping in her basement. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. It's like a scavenger hunt <laughs> as kids because yeah. it was it was the toys that our parents played with. You know, if I was down there with the cousins, so it was mm-hmm. like the really yeah. old toys, the rocking horse or the creepy dolls, and then there was this other stuff where it was just she'd gotten this deal. Yeah, it was always fun to kind of rummage around down there. But the point I was trying to make about this and who Grandma Kitchen, so this is your mother-in-law. Correct. I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was processing this, like, looking at Grandma Kitchen and how she was and those habits that she still has today, even after she had to sell the big house after Grandpa died and she moved mm-hmm. into an apartment, she still has a lot of these habits. Right, right. So those are lifetime habits for her. Mm-hmm. That came from her childhood and from her experience. Mm-hmm. But they didn't trickle down to me. Well, here's why I, here's why I think. Do you want to know why I yeah. think it? Okay. I, yeah. Well, it sounds like I'm going to hear it. You're going to hear it. I think, I think that children's habits are more influenced by the parent they spent the most time with. Um, okay. And so for most families, traditionally, that's going to be the mother. And mm. remember, grandma was not my mother. Yeah. So she did not pass that those habits onto me. No. Now, if you were to talk to Don or Kelly, you know, whose gram, you know, their mother was influenced by grandma. Oh, yeah, she had that Santa collection. Right. See, so that's they're influenced by the female yeah. uh, coming down through the family. You know, where I was not that that collector that of of kind of you know I mean I had my own collections and you know here and there but um not to the point that it was everyday life collecting so then if we look at the same kind of lineage mm-hmm. what I can say from what you're saying is your mom was not a collector correct do you think that had something to do with the fact that you moved a lot as a kid it could yeah it, it definitely could have uh, the other thing is, my mother was about 15 years younger than grandma. 
Mm. So I didn't grow up, grow up in exactly the same era of the depression. So not quite as influenced by the limit of food and the uh, rations of things. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? So a lot of that definitely, I mean, I think, you know, grandma's wired to kind of save things and, and this and that. Um, but a lot was influenced by the environment and the times and the, um, you know, so I don't know if habits are innate or are they the, the product of our environment and, and the time. I think the example you just gave kind of tells us it's at least partially influenced by the culture we grow up in and the times we grew up in because mm-hmm. your your mom and dad's mom, so they are of the same quote unquote generation because they're both my grandparents. Right, right. But because their age gap was mm-hmm. 15 years, mm-hmm. grandma kitchen, so dad's mom, had different experiences, even though they grew up in the same state, they were only a couple hours apart. Right. Right? Right. They grew up in a very similar area, mm-hmm. so very similar culture, but right. a different time. And that heavily influenced how they collect and keep home. And also, you know, grandma was from a large family. Lots of kids. Yeah. You know, when you come from a really large family, you learn very young that you have to Keep your things safe. Keep your things guarded a bit. Uh, And there's not as much for everyone. My mom is one of three girls. So didn't have the large family experience. Yeah. So, Do you think that was also impacted by the times? So Grandma Kitchen was born in the 20s. Right. My mom was born in the 30s. In that time period, in the 15 years between them, or even the 10 years between kind of their parents' productivity, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. You, maybe the the culture of family planning changed. Probably. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, after the depression, people mm-hmm. probably weren't so keen to have a bunch of kids. Right. I think, and that was economics drove that. Yeah. Definitely, they couldn't afford that many. Mm-hmm. So another thing impacted by the time we're growing up in, not just like the culture. Right. Right. Yeah. So then it trickles down to you and dad. Mm -hmm. He had probably a bit of this kind of collector's mentality. Mm -hmm. And then you were raised by your mom, not so much a collector. And then you two together have us. So then what was the climate in our home? Because I was reflecting back on this and I'm wondering, did you want to be a collector or kind of make home, but because we moved so much out of necessity, you were not so much a, a collector? Yeah, I'd have to really think about that. Um, there's, I think there's two types of collectors. I think there's collector, like hobby collectors, people that like something like, let's say, teapots um, yeah. or something like that. And throughout the years, you know, once word gets out, you know, people get them <laughs> teapots. You know what it's like being a teacher. You know, word gets out that you like something and, you know, now you have 50. So there's that type of collector who likes, you know, a certain thing. Then there is the collector of anything usable. That's a Mm -hmm. different mentality, I think. Um, That's the person that can't throw something away. They can't bring themselves to be wasteful. Mm -hmm. 
And so you have a collection of not things that are matching or similar in theme. Theme, yes. Okay. But you simply collect stuff because you, you just, because of economics or your childhood uh, without or whatever, you can't get rid of. And so interestingly enough, we were kind of a mix of that. Your dad and I were a mix of that. Yeah. He did have a tendency to want to save, I mean, every anything. And so what we kind of did was like, okay, that's in the garage. <laughs> I think know? a lot of people listening have that mentality of, let's put it in the garage. Yeah. You want to save all of your college notes that you ever took? No problem. They're in a box in the garage. You know I still have those from dad. You don't have all of them because there were boxes and boxes of notes. So there's that kind of collecting, which I don't even know if I would use the word collecting. No, I'm using that as not like collecting like a collector, but literally collecting as the most basic version of that verb that you are literally taking things in and keeping them versus rehoming them. Or not bring them in at all. Right. And, and you know, there's that, uh, you know, people that never do that annual purge. Yeah. You know, haven't used this in two years. It's going. So my habit, and this is before Marie Kondo. Okay. Has always been regular filtering, regular decluttering. And so does that come from my childhood with you guys that we moved regularly? I don't think so. Here's why. Because a lot of our moves were corporate moves that mean yeah. that they were paid for. So we had no <laughs> problem packing up, you know, straws. It didn't matter. Somebody else was paying for it. Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, no, I don't think it came from that. Um, you know, it, a lot of times it's the size of the house you're in also. Yeah. You know, as my world started to get smaller as I got older, that filtering happened a lot more often. Yeah, like for me sometimes, or a lot of times when I'm decluttering, I'm. it's easy for me to see a, the majority of the stuff in black and white. Mm -hmm. That there's not a lot of emotion. It's, oh, the kids have outgrown this. It moves on to a new home. Oh, that is broken, it moves to the bin. Oh, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Where I think some people have a lot of emotion around the movement of things in and out of their home. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you just reminded me of something. And I can remember as a kid, and this came from both sides of the family, um, yeah. there's kind of the guilt gift, I call it. Oh, yeah. So like five years, 10 years down the road, some relative is still asking you, um, do you still have that scarf I gave you? You know, and so you're, you're almost expected. We grew up with the expectation you were going to keep a gift till you died. See, I don't have that. And I think there's two things that contribute. One, you and dad mm -hmm. use it if it's useful. When it's mm -hmm. not useful, mm -hmm. it's not useful. Right. Regift it. Regift it. <laughs> right. But also living away from everyone has helped mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. no one knows if I'm using it. Right. 
Right. You know, I think some families where they're constantly in each other's homes Mm -hmm. because they live down the block, Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot more of this guilt gifting because it's like, oh, my mother-in-law gave me this thing and she's coming over. Quick, put it up on the wall. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. People would visit. Like, you know, your grandparents, we saw them maybe two or three times a year. But every time they visited, boy, she wanted to see that. I don't even remember what it was now. A candle, whatever that she gave us, whether it had to be displayed or you had to prove you still had it uh, somehow. And so, yeah, we had a whole collection of things we hung on to simply because we knew we were going to have to be able to account for them. And what's interesting is when I married my husband and, you know, his parents would come to visit us once, once in a while, I got so nervous. The first few times, and I would, you know, get into this cleaning panic and planning, meal planning panic. Mm -hmm. And my husband was always so baffled by my behavior. (laughs) My parents are really easygoing. Honestly, you don't need. And I was like, it's my in-laws. Like I had this built up in my head that when you have in-laws, they are, that is stressful. Yeah. It's supposed to be a stress-inducing experience to have your in-laws in your home. And it took a few visits to realize actually... No, there is no expectation that if they gave us a gift, it needs to be out. There's no expectation of me to be a fantastic cook or our home to be perfectly clean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that habit or expectation came from. I actually thought through this for quite a while. And I think I came up with a reason why that is. Tell Um, me. And so, yeah, this was work. I've done a lot of work. But um, (laughs) anyway, my theory. Yes, tell me. Totally unscientific and unproven. My theory is that no matter what generation we're in, the woman defines the home. Do we want to be more um, gender inclusive here? No. What if there's no female in the relationship? Here's the reason. Let me talk. Let me okay. let me let me talk through this. That person define decides how the kitchen is organized. Mm-hmm. How where the furniture's going most of the time how the closets will be organized. There's that one person in the relationship. Most of the time, it's the woman. Because what model did they have? They came from a home where most likely the mother defined those things. She decided on those things. Okay, you see where I'm going with that? I see where you're going with this. I still want to try and be gender inclusive. Got it. When you, <laughs> when you then acquire in-laws, that's not your mom. That's not the home you grew up in. So it's not familiar. Their habits are not familiar to you. How they kept a home is not familiar to you. So I think that's where some of that stress comes from. Hmm. It's a lack of familiarity. And they don't have the same habits you do, most likely. I like this theory. So I will agree with you that up until my generation, at least, Mm -hmm. the typical flow of things was mom to daughter Mm -hmm. becomes mom, gives to daughter, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. because there was the expectation that the female ran the home. Right. Right. So what we could say as the, this generation and the generations to come, you know, we're more accepting of kind of the, the movement of those responsibilities, not just mm-hmm. being on females or in relationships where there is no one who identifies as female, that right. there is always going to be someone in that home mm-hmm. 
who is the main I'm going to steal something from my guest, Katie, actually. Katie, who was the grief healer, she used to do something called the chief household officer. Yes. Yeah. Because it really is a job. Right. You're the house manager. And what I'm hearing from you is the chief household officer, so the CHO, Mm -hmm. sets the habits for the family. Correct. And then those habits get passed down to the next and the next and the next. Right. So that was point number one. And then the second point is the CHO of one family. So I am the CHO Mm -hmm. of my family is going to be meeting up with the CHO of my husband's family, which is his mom. Correct. And our habits are not necessarily aligned. Correct. And so until I get to know what her habits are through exposure, Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. trying to understand each other, there's like, there's fear there. There's stress. Anxiety. Sure. Right. You know, you can look at you and your brother. You mm-hmm. are the, you are the CHO of your house because I was. Matthew, uh, you know, got married, and his wife is, I believe, the CHO of their house. Oh, definitely. So here's, here's <laughs> but see, two of you have come from the same CHO. Yeah. But then your adult lives are very different. Yeah. But I wonder. If, let's say if two people get together and neither of them is naturally the homekeeper, mm-hmm. not naturally a home manager, mm-hmm. I wonder if then the son, in this case, if Matthew would have gotten together with someone who was not a natural CHO, if he would have taken on more of those roles. That would be interesting, yeah. I think when two non-CHOs get together, I think that's when you have a very disorganized house. <laughs> So there always has to be a CHO in the group. You know, I think, yeah, even if it's not a really dominant one, you know, I think that it kind of defaults to the person that either is going to do those things most frequently or is at least a little more comfortable doing them. So let's say in the relationship, the woman has the full-time job Mm -hmm. and the dad is going to stay home with the kids. Mm -hmm. He could become the CHO because out of out of the situation they're in, he's the one who is in the home doing the things more often, and he becomes the CHO. Correct. But yeah, there. I, and I think there has to be one. I don't, it doesn't matter really. Traditionally, you know, if we go back generations, traditionally that's been the woman. Again, economics drove that because the guy went to work and he got to vote. Right. Exactly. <laughs> got to do all the cool stuff. Right. But just to close out the mother-in-law chat, what I have found in terms of, we'll call it balancing habits, Mm -hmm. is the more I've gone to her house, the more she's come to my house, I feel more at ease because I know know the habits. I know when I walk into her home, where we take our shoes off, where we hang our coats, what time the meals are going to be, what the expectation of like snacks and coffee is. Right. So I can set my rhythm when i'm in her home i like reset my rhythm to her habits mm-hmm. and same with her and my father-in-law when they come to our home they reset their habits to balance with our home mm-hmm. and they love coming here because they don't have to do anything right <laughs> love yeah, it. like a hotel. <laughs> it's funny you know it's balancing cultures but 
now that I've dug into habits, I think when we're with other people in relationships, especially, you know, especially when we're living with people, Mm -hmm. it's a balancing of habits. Oh, yeah. You know, it's definitely uh, has to come together with some equity there. Yeah. Yeah. Give, take, whatever. You know, you talked earlier about nature versus nurture. Yeah. And that would be an interesting study, too. How much of that where where habits are formed. Yeah, when. But you know with with you, you were a natural organizer from like age 2. Yeah? Yeah, and I don't know. I think that would have been very young to have really picked that up from me or anyone. It's mm. just how you were. You know, whether it was organizing toys or blocks or um the neighborhood kids, you felt, you know, you really liked to organize into activities or uh, you know a kids I remember one time one birthday um, you wanted a cash register (laughs) of course I did for your birthday and the reason you wanted a cash register was you wanted to play flea market thanks grandma (laughs) yeah and so you organized the neighborhood basically into having a kids kind of yard sale you know with your cash register was that something you were just born with or did you learn it that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like organization is just a part of me. I naturally look at things and it just, it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And then I fix it. <laughs> and I, I quote unquote, fix it. On second thought. So I'm listening back to the episode now and reflecting once again. And one of the things that's standing out to me is that I am like my grandma, that things were passed down from Grandma Joe, Grandma Kitchen, to my dad, to me. And I'll give some examples, but this is to say that it is not just the CHO, not just the parent who is most often at home or the one who established the majority of the habits of the home that influences the habits of the children and then into their adulthood, Because who I am today, I am my grandmother's granddaughter. I am absolutely a kitchen. I love a good deal. I love flea markets. I love getting the most value I can out of things. Now, this isn't to say I rinse out Ziploc bags, though I will use one as many times as possible. But things like when I paid for university... Knowing how much an American university education is, oh, I showed up to every class early, sat in the front row, took the notes, showed up to office hours, joined the clubs. I wrung out that educational experience to get every last cent. And in my everyday life, I do love a flea market, and I love getting a good deal. And so I do think that I got a balancing of the habits, a balancing of the cultures from both my parents. Now, looking around my home, you'll see I do keep things a bit more minimal. I do declutter often. But the things I do keep, it's because they have value to me and I will get all the value out of them. It's not that the things I let go of don't have value. They just no longer have value for me. And that's where I find my balancing. All of this makes me think about 
kids these days. So if a lot of my habits were formed as I was a child, either from being in California and having rolling blackouts, so I love to turn off lamps, or from you being my mother and you were also a lamp turner offerer, and a lot of my other habits, you know, the fact that we did move a lot and it meant we didn't collect a lot of things or we decluttered often, who knows, but it makes me wonder what habits and values kids these days will have as a result of the culture of this time, Mm. specifically living through this pandemic and then the years that follow, you know, the dominoes that will fall as a result of COVID-19. So the impact it's going to have on how this generation, I don't know how much my kids personally will be impacted as two and four-year-olds. How are they going to approach life differently as a result we may be raising, as a result of the pandemic, a generation of non-huggers. Non-huggers. People that are a little less likely to be in large groups like concerts. Yeah. You know, they have, they're more sensitive to, like, sensory overload. We may be raising more independent learners. Mm. Um, and sadly, though, less social kids. You think even after, I'm hoping, I mean, maximum, I'm hoping this is, like, if we stretch it out, two years of direct mm-hmm. impact on their social time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hope. Watch, I'm going to listen back to this in three years' time going, oh, I was so naive. Yeah, we're still there. I hope not. I hope not. But let's say it is two years mm-hmm. of direct social impact and their ability to gather. Do you think two years is enough to really impact how they learn, how they approach learning, how they approach socializing? I think it is depending on the years that were affected. You know, if this is like a 15-year-old and all of a sudden they're back in the swing of things at age 17, there's a lot of memory there. There's a lot of habits already formed. There's a lot of social memory. They're going to jump back in with their friends and like, oh, yeah, let's go here again. Let's go there again. But I think for little children who are just developing how to socialize, the social rules, if you will, um, social etiquette and all of that, I think there's going to, I think that that gap will follow them. Yeah. I really do. They're going to kind of all of a sudden, let's say that 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 two-year gap for them was ages four to six. Hmm. Okay. So my son. Right. (laughs) Ages four to six, you're learning how to be in a group. Yeah. What is acceptable in group activities and and group projects and things like that? You know, I think for the kids that might have spent grades one and two on the computer, they're all of a sudden going to be thrown into grade three. And the teacher remembers what all that's about. But these kids are like, well, what do you mean? Pick teams. Yeah. So I think it will have some lasting impact. Nothing. I don't think it's anything serious. It'll change how they approach life. Yes, it will definitely change how they approach life. But will that be a bad thing? Not no, necessarily. Not necessarily. It'll be different. What I can say, as you're saying, as you're saying that, is they will be different from what I expect normal. Putting quotes on that, normal behavior is. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe my son, who's four now, and by the time all this is over, might be closer to five, six. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is a bit more introverted as a result. And 
that's not a bad thing just because I'm more extroverted. Right. No, not at all. You know, I can remember seeing a, a television special once, and this was in the, the 70s or whatever, early 70s, about children who grew up, grew up in the, the outback of Australia, and they, mm-hmm. were, they were having school literally on the radio, like tuning in, yeah. and that's how they had school. Mm. And that was a perfectly normal thing then. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, that must be so isolating. It must be so lonely, but that's what they knew. And that's yeah. kind of what these kids will know. It, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean that they will move forward and, and have difficulty being an adult or have difficulty, you know, managing their life or anything like that. It's just going to look different. Mm. That's all. And, you know, I'm not sure we'll ever have the same reaction to a cough and a sneeze in a group of people that we ever Not had. for a long time. long time, you know. Um, <laughs> everyone is suspect. You know, there's, there's new language that will have come out of all of this also. Yeah, my, my son, even when he was three, because this all started when he was three, he knew the word virus. Mm-hmm. When did I learn the word virus? <laughs> and quarantine. What's that? Yeah. You know. Exactly. You know, the things that are going on in life right now mm-hmm. lead us to have certain conversations as a result, and then the kids absorb that information that maybe I wasn't absorbing at that age, and they're filtering it right. earlier than I filtered it, and so it's impacting their behavior earlier than it impacted mine. And, you know, there's going to be some day that your son's child says, why do I have this habit? Yeah. You know, it'll be because he had it. As a result of this different time period. Oh, my son, my son already washes his hands more than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hand washing. That's another new habit. He's at the new school and um, he came out of the toilets as I was doing pickup. Mm-hmm. And the teacher turns and goes, did you wash your hands? And I turned to her and I said, you never have to ask him that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he asks yeah. me if I washed my hands. Right. So it's a whole new set, just like grandma, you know, had her set of habits as, as the result of her environment and the, and the, uh, from the depression exactly, and passed on some of that to her kids, you know, he's going to have, your son is going to have his set of habits as the result of some of these childhood experiences and pass on some of that to his children. Hmm. Like when you're sick, you stay home from work. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. There's a new one. (laughs) There's a new one. (laughs) So yeah, we're definitely forming some habits of being cautious, of being more aware of our surroundings. Yeah. I mean, I I look at something on television. It's like I thought, oh my gosh, how long before I would go to a football game again? Oh yeah. I'm watching whether it's documentary style or just like a regular TV show mm-hmm. where someone goes and hugs people in a crowd. And I'm yeah. like, Ugh, yeah, like a gag. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't used to be that way, you know, but now it's like, Ooh, Ugh. wash your hands. Exactly. I mean, I think we had some, um, foreshadowing, uh, when we accused people of having cooties in school. Yeah. This is the ultimate cooties. This is the ultimate cooties. Yeah. It's, it's come to come to life. So I'm going to do circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I've got my cootie shot. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was that easy to get a vaccine. There you go. (laughs) 
And that's where I think we can end. Right, I think we should. <laughs> well, how did you feel about the habit conversation? Well, again, just like the take a stance conversation, I didn't know we could ever vet it out that much. But um, we did. I think it's good. I think it's always good to reflect or to yeah. go back and intentionally think through where did that start? How did I get that way? You know, why, why this, why that? Uh, because I think so much of life is just, so much of it is just you're doing it. Yeah, you autopilot. Autopilot, go through the motions. Um, you know, where did that come from? I don't know, you know. I think for me, living in a different country from where I grew up and also being married to someone who not only grew up in a different family, which is enough mm -hmm. of a difference, but in a completely different culture and because we're from different countries, he grew up with different pop culture and different, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That it makes me question my habits and my values and my, what I think is quote, right. Mm -hmm. A lot more because mm -hmm. I'm confronted with it a lot more. Right. Right. A big thank you to my mom for joining me for an unscripted chat about habits. Do you have habits resulting from the culture of your childhood, the events that shaped your life in those years? Do you have habits from your parents or grandparents that were shaped by their experiences? Let me know. Comment on social media or send me a message on the show notes page at balancingcultures.com. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm -hmm.